As we turn to scripture, will you join me in prayer for light? Oh God, we come to your word like people who are starving to death, longing for something to eat. We come dying of thirst. We come lost in the dark. Will you come to us living bread, water of life, the star that shines on our path? Will you come and write your word on the flesh of our hearts? Because we pray in the name of Jesus, the living word. Amen. Hear the words that Paul wrote to the, his beloved church in Philippi. And as I read it, listen for all the words of hope that are in these short six verses. Let us listen for the word of God. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good word among you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart and all of you share in God's grace with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be God. to God. Having heard the first part of Paul's letter to the people of Philippi, we are now going to hear the story of the founding of the church of Philippi. Let us listen for God's word. Paul and his followers went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come opposite Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia, pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who were gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira, 
and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have found me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she had prayed and she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When back in the early 80s, both my husband and I were youth pastors in two Presbyterian churches about a mile apart in Dearborn, Michigan. One summer, we teamed up forces and we took the kids of both of our youth groups on a mission trip. We had 45 high school kids and 10 adults along who didn't necessarily like each other very much. So it was a group of 55 plus us, and it was a long trip. We went down to the Duval home for those with profound disabilities um, and worked there for a week. And that was amazing for this amazing group of kids to spend so much time with people very different from them and to learn to just become channels of God's love and compassion. And at the end of it, we went down for a couple of days to Disney World. Now, back in those days, Disney World was the Magic Kingdom and Epcot, and that was it. And we were in Epcot, and all of us were together to ride the signature ride of Epcot, which looks like a giant golf ball. It is Spaceship Earth, and it is a journey through human civilization, starting from the beginnings where those um, dwelled in caves, all the way into a vision of the future. And if you write it now, the narration is by Dame Judi Dench. And when you come to the scene from Phoenicia, there you see somebody pounding um, papyrus reeds into the very first paper, and somebody with a pen writing on that paper. And the narration says, in Judi Dench's words, Remember how easy it was to learn your ABCs? Thank the Phoenicians. They invented them. Well, back in the time that we went through, it was Walter Matthau who did the narration, but it was the same at that scene. And when you got there, you would hear, remember how easy it was to learn your ABCs? Thank the Phoenicians. They invented them. Well, just when we got to that part in the ride, all 55 of us riding in a string of about 10 vehicles, the ride broke down. And we were stuck there for 45 minutes. But when you are stuck in Spaceship Earth, the narration keeps going, with it being site-specific. So for 45 minutes, we heard, remember how easy it was to learn your ABCs? Thank the Phoenicians, they invented them. 
Well, after maybe five or 10 minutes of that, our bright, terrific kids started doing this. Remember how easy it was to learn your ABCs? Thank the Phoenicians, they invented them. Thank you, Phoenicians. Remember how easy it was to learn your ABCs? Thank the Phoenicians, they invented them. Thank you, Phoenicians. <laughs> on and on and on for 45 minutes. Well, do you know what? When we got off that ride, something had changed. Now, I believe some of them are phobic about giant golf balls and they don't ride in anything that looks like one anymore, but after that, whenever anything happened that you would say thank you to, now they would, um, Eric would hand them a plate of food and they wouldn't say thank you, Eric. They would say thank you, Phoenicians. But they started saying thank you a lot. Um, now, many of these kids in our youth group are now part of a Dearborn Presbyterian youth group, um, Facebook group. And I am so old that they have all passed their 50th birthday, my kids. And they still will share things like, my daughter got into college. And then guess what everybody else says? Thank you, Phoenicians. <laughs> it has carried forward to this very day decades later. You know, I um, remember a few years ago when I had the opportunity to preach here. Now, I know you won't believe this, but way back in the olden times, you had a little chancel up here with these tiny narrow steps that if you were the preacher and you walked up there, it was at the risk of your life. But I remember um, we talked about Lydia back then, and we're going to talk about Lydia again, because it is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Now, the thing that is so remarkable about this letter that Paul writes to the people of Philippi is it is so filled with Paul's gratitude and his praise for them. It is really clear that Paul regarded them as his partners. He begins by saying that every time he prays for them, he gives thanks. And he knows that the one who began a good work in them will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on just to keep building and building on the glory and quality of their community and their work in the world. And he, they are the ones that he tells to be anxious in nothing and in everything to give thanks and praise. Well, how did they turn out that way? I think if you sat down someday and you read in one sitting all the letters that Paul wrote to all of these churches that he planted, it is pretty evident that the Philippian church may be his favorite church. It might be his heart home. Many of the other churches he writes, and he is locked in jail. He knows he will never see them again. And these are his final word and admonition. And it is clear that for many of the churches, he is worried 
about whether they are going to survive as a church or whether they are just going to self-destruct. Galatia was a mess and Rome was having big problems and you never saw such a hot mess as Corinth. And in the middle of that, there is this little jewel of this church in Philippi. But what's amazing is there is nothing about the city of Philippi that makes you think that out of that would come a church that is like the church of the Philippians. Now, Philippi was um, a city, and it was at the mouth of a large bay. And I, so I want you to imagine, all of you sitting out there, that you are the ocean. And right up here is the bay. And this bay has shelter, and it has water deep enough that the, the big, large-masted, deep-hold merchant ships could come in and um, take harbor and keep a very active and vibrant merchant route going. Now, in front of the bay, right where I am right here, are the plains of Philippi. And it's important to know that Philippi changed hands um, at least history tells us about 16 times. It was a colony of Rome. It was a colony of Turkey. It was a colony of Greece. It was hotly contested. And the reason I know that is um, I discovered it in a scholarly secret repository of knowledge known as the Wikipedia. Um, if you are very, very scholarly, you could look this up yourself. Um, but the reason that it changed hands so frequently had to do with the shipping, but it also had to do with the range of mountains. So right here is Philippi, and then back where the screen is, is a mountain range, which had the widest and deepest deposits of gold and silver that had been discovered in that part of the world. And through those mountains was a large natural pass that would let the merchant routes go from the harbor up through the pass and then up around and all the way to Italy and finally to Rome. So it was a very valuable prop. On the plains of Philippi, a number of major battles were fought, including the battle. How many of you had to read Julius Caesar by Shakespeare at some point in your life, including where Julius Caesar is assassinated? A two brute, and he dies. And it was on the plains of Philippi. Well, when you have all of that going on in this city, you have living, well, if you have all those ships, what do you have? Sailors. And if you have all the mines, you have miners. And if you have all those wars, what do you have? Soldiers. In fact, one of the largest garrison outside of Rome. And if you have miners and you have sailors and you have soldiers, then you've got taverns, a lot of taverns, and you've got a jail, 
you've got the biggest jail outside of Rome. In fact, in the very next story, Paul and Silas end up in that jail. And with all of that wealth, you have a large merchant class and you also have a large upper class. Well, enter Lydia. Lydia, it tells us, is a dealer in purple cloth. Um, and some of the texts actually just say she's a dealer of purple. Now, purple is the color that whenever you see one of the cheesy Bible movies of the 50s and the emperor comes striding through, what is the emperor always wearing? Purple, right? It was originally the emperor of Rome and his household were the only ones that could wear purple, but it had been expanded that those who could afford it would wear it, which isn't many. The reason is that purple is the hardest dye to create and for it to be color fast. Now to get purple, what two colors do you mix? Blue and um, red and you remember all those experiments with kids where you would mix them together and sometimes it would be tie-dye or something like that but without a fixative in the color you wash it a couple of times and what color do you get this ugly brownish mauve color right no longer true purple well gilts and grease um, had discovered the secret to a true purple, which involves chopping up little sea snails and a herb that was secret and a secret way to, to bring this recipe together. And then you got a true purple. So Lydia is from Thyatira, which means that she's from Greece. And she evidently is the head of the Guild of Purple Dealers in Philippi. Now, in the, all of the literature from the time, this is the only place where a woman is mentioned as a dealer, as the head of a guild. So Lydia is remarkable. Think Martha Stewart without all the problems that Martha Stewart has had. But think of a woman of that caliber and capability. So Paul and his entourage have had this vision of somebody pleading, saying, come and save us. And so they obediently have gone to Philippi. And there they are, and they're there for several days. Well, it's a Sabbath, and there must not have been a Jewish community in, in Philippi, because unlike other places where Paul would go, they didn't go to the synagogue on the Sabbath they went to the river where they supposed there would be a place of prayer. And it was a group of women who gathered there to pray. And so Paul and the others tell them the good news of the story of Jesus. And they are converted on the spot. And it says that Lydia and her household were baptized. Now, again, this is remarkable. Um, if Lydia had been a Roman woman, she could not have been the head of a household. She could not have been there with the household because Roman women had an important place in society, but it was inside the house. So to be outside and to be a woman 
um, who had an uh, important part of, of the society as a dealer of purple. Um, Greek women were per permitted to do that. We don't know if Lydia was unmarried. We don't know if she was a widow. We don't know if she had an incapacitated husband at home. But nevertheless, Lydia is acting in her own right. So she and her household were baptized. And then we get one of the most remarkable sentences anywhere in the Bible. Lydia says, if I have um, shown you my faithfulness in the Lord, and if you find me worthy, then I beg you, come and stay with me. Now, there were probably about 35 people in Paul's party. How many of you could invite 35 of these people home for lunch today? I've, and if the whole household is there to bring them all home without somebody rushing around madly, how many of you can invite 35 people to stay? Lydia was a woman of importance. And so they did. And so the Church of Philippi was established in Lydia's house. And when Paul left them, he wept uncontrollably because he knew he would never be back to see them again. And they were so close to his heart. They were his ideal, his model of what a church should be. Now, what made them coming out of such a rough metropolitan city, no different than any other, how did this extraordinary church get born? Well, from reading Paul's letter, I think it comes down to they learned the art of gratitude. Do you know that there are people who study um, brain science and brain chemistry, and there is an actual field of science that is the science of happiness? And they believe that we actually participate in the continual rewiring of our brains. Our brains are naturally conditioned to negativity. And you've read this, you know that there's a reason for this. It goes back to those hunter-gathering days when if you were not hardwired to negativity and to run, then you might be run down by a woolly mammoth, right? But that um, reptilian core in our brains persists and predisposes us to negativity, criticism, anger, resentment, self-pity. All of that is the way our brains are wired to go. And most of us do a plenty good job um, helping that wiring along. We live in um, a townhouse that's attached to another house, and then we have a whole row. And back behind us, we have a common backyard that stretches the length of about 10 houses with no fences in between. And we are blessed in our neighborhood with about 10 kids, all of whom have picked this strip of backyard as their playground. And um, they currently are playing baseball. 
And they have taken, um, it's part half our backyard and half the neighbor's backyard who has some of the kids in this um, group of kids that play. And they have taken their bats and maybe sledgehammers and they have made a great big bare spot that is home base. Literally, they have wiped out part of our lawn. And my husband, for some reason, this just jerks his chain. No end. He looks out there and he sees these kids in our yard pounding out more of our grass. And there is just something in his brain that goes absolutely ballistic. And then he will go, unless I find him ready to do it and I hold him back, he goes charging out the back door and he tells the kids to quit pounding on the grass. I asked him the other day, when did he get promoted to the role of Mr. Wilson and, and Dennis the Menace, the get off my lawn, get off my lawn guy? Well, when we get stuck in those kind of loops, then pretty soon you discover yourself griping about everything. How many of you have gone on a, um, a gripe fest in this past week? How many of you have complained about anything? Be honest, how many of you complained about something? We have a couple of saints here, but almost all of us fall into complaining. There's a guy in Canada, and I yet again forgot to look up his name, but he is the head of a movement that is called the Stop Complaining Movement. And he's written a book and he, for really cheap, will sell you a purple rubber wristband you can put on that says no more complaining. And the goal for this is to stop complaining. And every time you find yourself complaining, you switch it over to the other wrist and that just reminds you that you complained again and you try not to do it. And when I told my husband about this, thinking that he might think it was intriguing, he said, oh, just get me one for each wrist. Then I don't have to switch it. But the Canada guy, the stop complaining guy, he maintains that if we go 30 days without complaining, that we will become different people. And if we become different people, there are enough people in this room for it to spread out in waves and for it to change the world. Now he says the way to do this is to practice instead saying thank you 500 times a day. 500 times. Now if you think about it, we can probably... Um, in the first hour that we are up, come up with an occasion for at least 50 times to say thank you. How many of you woke up with your head on a pillow this morning? With a pillowcase. How many of you turned on a water faucet and there was water in that faucet that you did not have to walk to a river and draw yourselves? We are so very blessed here in the United States with so much we have. And sometimes we forget to notice our abundance. How many of you notice that there is sunshine out there and it is gloriously beautiful and there are leaves still on the trees 
If you start to pay attention to everything in your life and start to face, thank you, we will become more like the church in Philippi. Now, my place where I get to practice it more than anywhere else is Route 30. Now, I live um, a little north of Lancaster in Mannheim Township, and I, um, now that we are back, our churches are open, and Michael and I are traveling all over the Presbytery again, I am on Route 30 a lot. I head west to York and then south to the southern York County churches. I head east to the eastern Lancaster County and the Chester County churches. Even to get here, I'm on 30 just a little bit to come to southern Lancaster County. And invariably, the universe orchestrates it that in front of me when i'm right on that stretch where you're leaving lancaster and you're going to get to gap and you have seven miles because i've clocked it of no passing i have a truck in front of me it's the truck with the giant logs on it or it's the mobile home that's the truck i have going about 10 miles under the speed limit behind me invariably I have got some hotshot kid who probably it's the first time out with his driver's license without his mom next to him. And he wants to drive 12 miles over the speed limit. And here I am stuck in the middle. So the God who loves me and wants me to become a better person gives me this scenario over and over and over again. And in my natural state, I complain like crazy. But if I am trying to practice rewiring my brain to gratitude, I start to take notice of and pray for the guy in the truck hauling the logs and the kid behind me and all the potential he has and the adult that hopefully he will grow up to be. And I pay attention to the farmland around me in that big urban factory with people making stuff that they probably would never buy, working around the clock, and all the things that there are around us, trying to say thank you and trying to pray for them. Friends, I think that this house church, that was founded and grew out of Paul's passion to bring them the good news and Lydia's passion to be found worthy. They were a remarkable church that had learned the art of saying thank you. And so I invite you in your community together as a church, in your lives when you walk out of here and you go to the things that God gives you today, in every place and in every way that you can practice 500 times a day saying thank you Phoenicians and see what happens amen